Hello everyone. Uh, welcome to another Hawks Insiders Players Review. And, and this time uh, it should pose to be some wonderful listening as we go through the Hawks players and how they fared in our 13-8-86 to 8-6-54. 32-point win in round 17 against the Adelaide Crows playing a home game at Marvel Stadium, wearing the white away shorts in our home game. Fair bit of head scratching going on there, but uh, quite a bit to unpack as we go through every player and look at how they fared. Uh, it be interesting to see if our experts tonight give anyone a fail or if everyone passed the test at Marvel Stadium, where we also snapped a significant losing streak. So it's been a good day all round. Um, first, before we kick off, uh, we'd we'll like to welcome co-hosts of this program, starting with Darren Levine. Daz, uh, how did you enjoy that? Well, very happy to be back um, on the winner's podium. I think um, there was a bit of chatter before the game about you know, whether we wanted to win any more before the end of the year and how that would sort of compromise draft positions, but it felt really good to win. Um, and I would like to win more than we lose leading into the end of the year. <laughs> Prince is shaking his head already. <laughs> yeah, well, our, our other expert to go through all of the players tonight, Daniel Prince, the draft guru, extraordinaire who would be hoping for as many high picks and highest picks possible. Uh, how are you feeling about the fact that we moved to spot up the ladder this evening? Look, it's nice to win, right? And thanks for having me on board, guys. It's the first review pod that I've been on that we haven't lost. So it kind of feels, it's a nice vibe. There's a good vibe. Uh, so I'm happy to be here. Um, it's great to win, uh, and if I don't put that out there, I'll get I'll get smashed by Ash in the group in the group chat. Um, it is nice to win, but I don't think we want too many more for the rest of the year. I mean, the short term euphoria is great, but long term we got to get those high end draft picks. So, I mean, you know, I'll let, I'll let the viewers decide on what's more important. Hit me up with what's more important, by the way, guys. And they probably will because uh, already, you know, a message has just come through referring to you as Daniel Klebanski Prince, <laughs> wanting us to uh, lose more games than we win moving forward uh, to be able to revel in it. But hopefully we can get through this pod and you have a good enough time of it, Prinzy, that, uh, that you flip that and maybe we'll ask the question during the week the the weekday Thursday night space and and see if we can get you to change your mind heading into the Eagles game this weekend. So um, thanks for joining us, guys. Uh, without further ado, I think we'll get straight into it. And just to keep everyone on their toes, uh, you, one of our subscribers actually suggested a couple of weeks ago that we flip it and as opposed to counting up from one, count back down from well, number 44. So that is what we're going to do tonight. We're going to start the night having a look 
at Jai Newcomb, number 44, Jai Newcomb, finished the game with 25 touches, three marks. He had 381 metres gained, only 72% time on ground, which is significant. He, uh, he seemed to spend a lot of time on the bench in the second half. He had six inside 50s, five score involvements, uh, 13 of his 24 touches were contested. Um, do you know what? I'm going to let you guys raffle it. First to jump in gets to talk about Jai. Uh, it's going to be me because that's my boy. Sorry, Daz. <laughs> sorry, Daz. You were never winning that one. Um, what a first half performance by Duke Newcomb. He was phenomenal. I think... Um, the way he attacked the contest is a, is a given. Um, and we know he's as hard as they come. He's always going to just keep cracking him. But his disposal by foot, just that's what we've wanted to see, right? That, that's what he needs to do in order to take his game to that next level. He was hitting 40, 50-meter bullets and hitting them lace out. And, um, you know, him spending that time in the second half on the bench, you really saw it. it. It really hit our midfield hard. And I think it's a huge, it's huge kudos to Jai for the impact he's had this year. It's also a, a bit of an indictment to our midfield unit that when he's not there, we really, really notice him not being there. This is a kid with less than 20 games worth of foot, AFL football experience. So, um, I, I thought his first half, 18 touches in the first half was was worthy of a, you know, eight and a half, nine out of 10. Um, he's, I think you said this, Weesey, as we were talking before we jumped on, um, he must be carrying something um, because only playing, you know, 88 out of 122 minutes um, and not much in the second half and, you know, was started on the bench both at, after half time and, uh, and after three quarter time. You know, you don't play your your, your gun midfielder off the pine, you, uh, especially when he's, you know, 20 years old. So, um, yeah, I, I, I thought he was fantastic. I'll give him a seven and a half out of 10, but I think really only whatever niggle he's carrying is bringing his score down, to be honest. I, his impact in that first half was, uh, should not be underestimated. Yeah, I think as well, he um, he was getting a fair bit of treatment down on the bench, on his on his hammies and on his legs in general and, and looked sore coming off. So no doubt he's carrying something. He, he might get an extra day or two from the others to, uh, to recover. And well, I mean... Maybe, well, I was just going to say, maybe like all of our young players have had weeks off managed except Jai and he's playing in a really... Um, sort of cutthroat, heavy, heavily. He's but he gets smashed in the role that he plays. Is what I was trying to articulate a little bit better than he gets smashed. But um, may, maybe this is the result of not giving him that week off to to manage his body a bit better. So um, you know we've got to expect that there's going to be maybe halves of football where we manage him through the half or through the game. So. Um, and and look, if that's if that's option B and option A is giving him a week off, give me option B every day of the week. Um, he's too good to ha- not have in the team if he's available. So yeah, it's pretty scary to think about midfield without Jai next week. I'm just I don't know what'll happen. He had a game my eight clearances as well. I just saw so just an absolute beast. 
Indeed. Now, Daz, the beauty of missing out on getting to review John Newcomb is that you get number 37, the big noodle, Ned Reeves, who clearly looked much more comfortable having big boy next to him to share ruck duties. He, he finished the day only with six disposals, but had a couple of tackles, 26 hit outs. Uh, he kicked that great goal that he picked up off the ground intuitively, got it onto his boot. Um, early in the game, 65% uh, time on ground for the for the game. Um, three score involvements. He had nine direct hitouts to advantage, um, with a 44% hitout win percentage from his contest that he attended. Daz, how did you see the Noodles game? Yeah, look, I thought. McAvoy being back just makes him so much better. And he got his hands to it most of the time. And there were so many clean taps to the likes of Tom Mitchell and Jai. Um, and I really enjoyed his game. And, um, you know, time and ground, the lowest out of any hawk, which is just shows that he really needs to build his tank over preseason. Um, and obviously we'd love to see him doing a bit more around the ground, but I think that's just going to, come later in his career and we just have to be patient um, because he's a really dominant force when he's in the middle, that's for sure. So, yeah, I'm going to give him a, a, a 6 out of 10. That's fair. Now, I feel like we're going to be saying this often, Daz, unfortunately for you, the beauty of getting Ned Reeves means that Quincy gets James Blank. Number 36, uh, Blank had 12 disposals. Three marks. He spent most of the game on the ground. I think that the biggest stat for us to, to talk about, he had six intercepts, but the biggest stat to talk about was that he finished the game with nine spoils, which was the most on the ground of any player on the ground. And I think to put it into perspective, obviously we'll get to this. Blank had nine. Sicily had eight. Nick Murray from the Crows had six. And the next highest number of scorers, spoils on the ground was three. So that is uh, absolute domination in terms of him being the key, the number one key defender on the ground. Prinzi, thoughts? My first thought was, how comfortable does this guy look three games into an AFL career? Um it's been a seamless transition since he got picked for his first game. And, you know, he's, he's had some big matchups, you know, um, today he played periods on, um, on Stillthorpe on, uh, Tex and he played on, um, Darcy Fogarty as well. And I just think his, uh, calmness under pressure, his composure when he gets the ball in his hands. Um, you know, you talked about the spoiling. He's just, just dogged determination to impact a contest is already leads the way in our team in terms of how to go about it defensively. We've got a lot of guys in our team who love to uh, intercept Mark and um, just seeing a, a man who just loves the the dirty side of defending is as a defender at heart is something that really warms, warms my insides. Um, you know, makes me feel happy because I'm just like, yeah, that, that real grit. He just, he just goes about it. Like I am not going to let my opposite, my opponent win 
even if I don't win, he will not win. And um, I think there was one or two times which were the perfect example, which were um, when the ball came in and Fogarty looked for sure like he was going to mark it. And if you see, if you see, um, it looked like one of those, you know, it slowed down for me where you just see Blank at the back behind him swinging, trying to just knock that ball. And, and Fogarty didn't stick the mark. I think he touched it about five times without marking it. And it was purely because of that pressure that Blank just didn't give up. And I think that that's a really, really um, good example for, um, you know, the rest of our defenders and also, you know, somebody like Denver Granger Barras, who's um, found it a little bit tougher in the early goings this season. I, I gave him I gave him a 7 out of 10 and I thought he was fantastic. And I think I've probably talked enough about Dar- Daz's man uh, for one night. Yeah, I've got to say as well, sitting behind the bench and watching him come off and he spent some time next to DGB as well. And like his body shape and body size is already decent enough to be that number one defender. That's what's really exciting that you then go, he's 21 years old. Uh, Like that's very, very exciting. Somehow we've found this incredible gap that when, you know, Prinzi has talked about putting together a, what does our next premiership team look like and what are the spots that are missing? It's like out of nowhere, we've just found one to give a tick in that defensive goal square. We move on to number 35, Josh Morris. And I'm not quite sure that the stats will um, accurately um, breed the level of positivity that should come with his game. He ended up with uh, 10 disposals two marks, 255 metres gained. Um, He also had, uh, well, he only had 50% disposal efficiency, um, but a couple of intercepts as well as a couple of inside 50s. Daz, what were your thoughts on Josh Morris? I think this is the first game where I felt like Josh was felt comfortable enough at the level. I think... um, you know, the knock on him has been in the few games that he's played or the handful of games that he's played, he, he hasn't just hasn't got involved enough. And I think he played a really crucial role today in being a negating sort of defender and allowing um, the likes of Sicily and Hardwick to, to get a bit more of the footy. I think he's so courageous, Josh Morris. That mark that he took, you know, the getting stuck in there and nearly getting his head taken off in the in the first half. He's actually a super courageous player. And I can see him being a sort of understudy to Hardwick in terms of the, his size and how, how ferocious he is and the fact that he switched from being a small forward to a small defender. Um, so I was really pleased with this game, actually. I think it's, it's clearly his best game for the club. So um, I'm going to give him a five and a half. After, after that glowing review, but I think that's that's probably what what he deserved. He wasn't incredible, but it was his best game for the club. Clearly, speaking of possibly best game for the club, Finn McGuinness, number thirty two, finished the game with thirteen touches. Uh, Jane Sicily spent a hundred percent of time on the ground, and Finn was our next highest. Um, number of minutes played with 94% time on the ground. But it was it was his work in close. He had seven tackles leading the way, equal leading the way in terms of 
the tackle count for us. Um, but it was the job that he did on Jordan Dawson, who was obviously identified as someone we need to shut down. Prinzi, a job that he absolutely excelled at today. Yeah. If anybody's read my Box Hill reviews for the last month, I've been calling for Finn McGuinness to play. And I and the justification today was, was very, very sweet. And um, I think... It was a game well-deserved for Finn. And then Mitchell was rewarded for picking him and giving him a job. And um, I think if you have a look at Finn McGuinness as his career as a, as a, as a whole, um, it's been leading up to moments like this and the Ed Langdon tagging job he did earlier in the season um, where Mitchell's moved him around, given him a taste of different, different roles and made him a more complete, player he was a he was a one-trick pony uh and he was never going to get into the team if that's all he had so um it's another pat on the back for sam mitchell and finn mcginnis for being a sponge and being able to be because not every not everybody is flexible enough to be molded the way that mcginnis has been and i think um i think it's a real i think it's a real feather in mcginnis's cap that he can come in play a defensive forward role which is again different to what he's played at box hill and completely negate the impact of Jordan Dawson, who, um, you know, has been phenomenal for the Crows this year uh, and is a beautiful ball user and setter up, setter up of play from the back half for the Crows. Uh, forgive my poor English, but um, he was just, he was fantastic. Everywhere Jordan Dawson went, Finn McGuinness was there as well. And uh, yeah, I, I just thought he was great. I'll give him a seven half out of 10. Got a question yeah. without notice, Prinzi. Where do you think Sam Mitchell's, what do you think he's grooming him to be? Like, what is his long term role or vision for Finn? Ultimately, I think he's a defense first inside midfielder. Um, but I think the beautiful thing is we've seen he can play a role on the wing, especially if he tightens up his disposal. He can he can play inside. He does it at Box Hill and he has had really good success at Box Hill. He'll eventually get the decision-making speed and skill at AFL level that allows him to play that role. But I think he becomes one of those guys that Mitchell can call on, you know, we need you here or we need you here. We need you to do this role. We need you to do this role. And good and great football teams have utility types like that who can be called upon to do a role. I mean, not that I'm in no way comparing him with the man I'm about to reference or the men, Effectively, Sean Burgoyne and Luke Hodge were those players in the great in our premiership, you know, uh, years where if there was trouble, Clarko would chuck one of those guys either behind the ball or in the guts or up forward and they'd do the job. And I think that Mitchell's trying to do a similar, maybe not to the same level, but similar sort of thing with McGuinness. Like a much better Dan Howe. Like a much better Dan Howe, like a Dan Howe that I have time for, yeah. What'll be interesting is whether he turns into a pure run with tagger or as you're talking about, like a behind the ball, fill the gap type defensive role. Because even, I mean, through those premiership years, like I think of like a Gary Ablett Jr., I think he went on a 15 run a, six, a 16 game run against us, 30 plus possessions back when 30 was today's 40. And every single game against us, even if we won, 
the opposition midfielder often got three or two Brownlow votes, were always allowed off the leash and were never tagged. So, you know, I think we'll leave it for spaces, but it's a genuine question. Is there a role for a tagger? I know Kane, our mate Kane Corns, talks about it all the time, that why don't you, you know, when someone gets off the off the leash, why doesn't someone stick someone on them to go with them? And clearly what we've seen so far with Finn, you know, his, his game against Ed Langdon was the other notable one. Uh, it was probably Langdon's worst game for the year um, because of Finn, uh, similar, similar now to Dawson. So they're pretty handy scalps to have. Um, moving down the numerical list, 31, Connor McDonald. He had 11 touches and six marks. Um, didn't hit the scoreboard, which is something that we're getting used to him kicking a, a goal every other week. Um, four score involvements, um, but a wonderful 91% disposal efficiency, which has him in the top few players in terms of disposal disposal efficiency for the game. Daz, thoughts on Connor Mack? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's just building so nicely and he's not getting a heap of the footy, but just doing everything right always. Um, just his decision-making and the, just the way he sees the game and sees the, the aggressive kick option and is willing to take it. Um, I think he was robbed a goal by Jack Scrimshaw because I think he actually was in range and probably just given his track record with set shots may have slotted that. So um, lightning quick hands, um, just a, such a classy player. And I'm going to go early and say that I think he will be the best player from this draft class, which is saying a lot because you've got Josh Ward and Sammy Butler um, tracking along pretty nicely as well. So I'm going to give... Connor, uh, five and a half, because I just felt like even though he's, I said all those great things about him, didn't really impact the game in a massive way, but he's just building so nicely and it's going to be very, very soon when he, when he does have a breakout game. Speaking of building nicely, Josh Ward, number 25, and I should say we'll, um, we'll, overlook Liam Shields despite the fact that I think that was game 254 officially uh, given that he gets credited as the game even though he's an unused sub we'll leave him be for the day and move on to Josh Ward got involved uh, more and more as the game went on finished with 16 touches uh, four marks 266 metres gained he had three score involvements, three intercepts, went at just under 70% disposal efficiency. Prinzi, it was a good game, good game back for Wardy. Yeah, really, really happy with, well, firstly, really happy that he's back in the AFL team. Happy that he's back healthy and playing footy. Um, his last his last week at Box Hill was really good in a poor team in poor conditions. So um, to see him get out there, he looked, he looked scratchy early. He looked, he looked like, um, 
he yeah just couldn't couldn't find it and um, just needed some time and worked his way into the game really well and I thought he was really important in the third and fourth quarters uh, his ball use he came inside um, into the corridor a few times and executed well where others weren't executing well um, he's he's a clever I don't think he's a penetrating kick, but he's a very clever kick. Um, He's almost got a bit of a pitching wedge type kick, but he manages to like weight them really well. So um, I, I, I gave him a a six um, and the majority of that is for the second half. Um, And I think this is a really good um, sort of foundation for him to build the rest of his first, his debut season on. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's not too far away that we get a real Josh Ward has arrived type game and people start going, oh, this is why they picked him up as early as they did. Because, um, you know, I, I love I love Daz's confidence in Connor McDonald, but there's a reason why we picked Josh Ward where we did. And I feel like he is going to be an absolute jet. We've, you know, he, he just hasn't been as exposed to AFL footy as, as, as Connor has yet. Yeah, and with that, I mean, he had 11 of his 16 touches with kicks, so I really like that in itself. They're not just handballs to someone as close to him as possible to get rid of it. And I can't remember, um, maybe other than a Ryan Burton, personally, I can't remember a first-year player that when he gets it, you you feel so safe before he's even done anything with it. Uh, maybe Will Day, maybe Conor McDonald. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I mean, probably more so than Conor McDonald for me. Maybe Will Day, um, and then probably going back to Luke Hodge. In all honesty, or Cyril. Um, yeah, yeah. But or maybe you just got we got excited every time Cyril touched the, touched the ball. Yeah, yeah no, no, that's fair. And that's different fair. as a pure mid. But I just reckon there's something there that as soon as he gets it, there's this level of comfort. And He screams uh, composure, doesn't he? Yeah, so I agree. You know, once the 16s become 25, those 25s, you're going to sit back and go, whoa, like the impact that he has is going to be significant. So, uh, but good game for him and fair rating from you. Um, On to number 24, speaking of first round draft picks, Denver Granger Barras finished the game with 10 touches, one mark. Um, Not much to talk about. He only had a couple of spoils in terms of his overall sheet, but I think, um, does the the highlight of his game is the fact that he's slotting into a back line that looks like it's a back line of the future, being able to play with Blank and Sicily together. Yeah, the back, back line was just such a highlight today, just really working well together. He worked really well with Blank on a few occasions as well, so just kind of paddling it on and um, getting it out of there and, and work thinking their way through things. So he's definitely got a footy brain and a lot of footy IQ. I just think it's going to take a while with Denver. His body's not there yet. And even compared to James Blank, he's, he's looks like he's a few pre-seasons off even Blank's body. So, um, yeah, just, just good to see him back in the seniors and a player that will continue to grow. Um, don't want to be too hard on him. I'm going to give him, I'm going to give him a pass. Um, didn't really do that much wrong. 
scared me a lot when he was one out with the likes of Fogarty. But um, yeah, just hope, hope he stays in the side for the rest of the year, to be honest, because I think that back line um, is a nucleus of, of a really, really formidable back line there. Now, number 23, Jacob Kaczynski. I've actually um, got a proxy. No, I haven't really, but I know Prince is licking his lips at being able to give Cozzy's, uh, Cozzy's review after some of the comments that were flying around our WhatsApp group. Um, we know that he didn't do much for the first three quarters of the game, but had a great last term. He finished the, the game with eight touches with a goal um, with two marks. He also finished with five scoring involvements, which um, is very decent, um, including, I think it must have been early in the first quarter, a fantastic handball that led to, uh, might have been the Mitch Lewis flat snap goal. Uh, I stand to be corrected, but he, he definitely had that assist. So he had five score involvements. Primzy, break down Cozzy's game for us. Well, firstly, we need to give the people what they want. They need to see these messages, these WhatsApp messages. People need to be held to account for the slander of, of Hawthorne footballers. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. And look, if you look at his first three quarters, you're probably giving the, the man, you know, three out of 10, to be honest. And you're going, this is not a great Cozzy game. Um, I defended him in our group chat. Um, likewise did Daz, I'll give the man his, his, his dues as well, um, against the onslaught. Uh, we'll leave you to guess who, who was doing the onslaughting. Um, but his first three quarters was pretty ordinary. His last quarter I thought was really good. Um, I will now go and defend him and say, in the first half, we were so Mitch Lewis focused in our delivery into the forward 50. You could have been a key position player free 30 metres out. We weren't kicking it to you. Sorry, your name's not Mitch Lewis. And that was just really, really evident the way that we went into the forward 50 in the first half. In the third quarter, the way that we went into the forward 50 was like the post-premiership Clarko years where we'd try to kick it to the smallest players in the forward line by kicking rainmakers on their heads and it just wasn't effective and nobody was going to get any joy in the forward line out of that sort of delivery. Uh, and then in the fourth quarter, cause he started to find his groove a bit. And I think we need to cut him a little bit of slack this season because he's been asked to do He's he had a good debut season as a key forward last year. And then he was asked to come in coming in late into the season and be the relief ruckman, a position he's never played in his second year of playing a position he didn't really play. Um, so it's been a bit of a, a tough season for Cozzy and, and not the season that we would have liked to see from him. I think we were all sort of coming into the season thinking Lewis and Kaziski it could really blow up. And now, you know, Mitch Lewis has and, um, and Cozzy's sort of lagging, but I've still got some confidence that he's a really good, number two forward and a really good foil in the way that he goes about it to make Mitch Lewis's job a bit easier. Um, and the fact that he's, we can see Lewis is going to be the number one man, um, the big dog must be a lot of pressure off Cozzy not having to be that. So um, I'm confident he'll still be a piece. Um, but I also think that if there's a key forward in the draft that the Hawks really like, he, Cozzy's form this year won't stop them from drafting that. 
that player. So um, I, I'll give him a five and it's gone up two points just for the last quarter to give him that pass mark. We need to see 13 to 16 touches from Cozzy and a couple of goals, you know, a goal or two each week for the rest of the season and just let him play in the forward line, find his groove again and just start to get that partnership and the good vibes happening with Mitchie Lewis and I'll be stoked. I think a five out of 10 for Cozzy uh, basically confirms that every single player gets a pass tonight, which uh, that could be the first time in Hawks Insiders history every single player for a game has passed. So he's done well. I think a couple of things, if I may, just a note on Cozzy. Every single player review pod this year, his um, adjudication has been prefaced with... uh, Look, it's really unfair to actually rate him because he had to play a position that he didn't have, like that he's not suited to play and and shouldn't have to play, and it's not fair. Exactly what you talked about. Um, what I find interesting will be not um, who's the big dog out of him or Lewis. Will be does he do enough to keep Jack Gunston out of the team? Because in my mind over the next two, three, four years, like he's that other key forward that you want leading up and and hitting the ball around 50, 60, 70 out and getting it into Lewis and maybe taking over from the Jack Gunston. And with Gunston's input over the last few weeks leading into him being out of the team this week, obviously, um, you know, wanting to see enough of Cozzy to potentially say, maybe there isn't a role for Gunston moving forward. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that in terms of the Gunston factor. Do you think they're too similar? Because it's here in Lewis, maybe. Like it's very, it's very darling and um, Kennedy-esque in a way. But do do you think maybe we need a bit more of a a rangy sort of wildcard forward to complement Lewis rather than a very... A kind of inferior version. It's a Darling it's and a good Kennedy qu- worked pretty well, didn't yeah. they? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a good. I mean, it's a good question. Um, I, th- I, we probably just don't have the body of work to to really know if they can work together yet. Um, I was hoping that by the end of this season, we'd 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 know that for sure. And I think just with how the seasons panned out, I don't think we will. But, um, I. I guess the the biggest issue we have is there's nobody else at Box Hill knocking down the door to take Cosy's spot Um, and people calling for him to be dropped. I mean, if Gunston's fit and they want to play Gunston and rest McAvoy up forward, okay, sure. You know, like we owe it to our, to these, you know, servants of our footy club to, to play them. Um, But, you know, I'd, I'd just like to see Cosy play the rest of the season as the number two key forward and just let him have a, a fair crack. And I think I think there's enough differences in the way that they go about it and the way that they play footy, Lewis and Cosy, um, for it to work. So, on to number twenty-two, Luke Roost. got his couple of goals, finished with eleven touches, four marks. He had five tackles uh, and a goal assist. Seven score involvements for the game. Not such a nice-looking disposal efficiency with 
disposal efficiency, which is pretty low. Um, again, uh, who are we up to here, Daz? Uh, two goals is what we want from Luke Bruce every, every week he plays. Um, how did you see his overall impact on, on the game today? I said a few weeks ago, I think Luke Bruce is a cameo player now. And I think he made his fourth quarter cameo. It, they were important goals and that's all we can kind of expect from him. His first half was terrible. Uh, just had a total mare. Just mishit a snap that you'd think he would just drill three years ago. Um, so he still has a role to play in that forward line. He still he still put a decent amount of pressure on, but it's we just can't expect more than cameos from Luke Bruce now, and, and that's just kind of where he's at. And I was going to give him a four and a half until you said that every player gets a pass mark, so he's upgraded to a five. Well, I'm more than happy to... Um... If people are not happy with that uh, and want to comment via Twitter or through the Substack about Bruce getting a pass when he shouldn't have, uh, he's been a great servant of the club and I'm more than happy to wear uh, what comes with that if I'm the one that has managed to boost his score up to a five. I think he had had one good quarter, in, in my opinion. He had a shocking first half. So I don't know what you boys think, but, uh, you know. Yeah, he, but he, didn't, he really didn't have much impact on the game whatsoever. But again, this is what we're going to expect from Brucey. If, he, if he's kicking two goals a game and he's going to end up with between 30 and 40 goals for the season, like what more can you ask for when True. he's in the team to teach Butler and to help continue to teach more when he's playing in the forward line and have the kids that are going through there and being able to direct them and help them with positioning and even be there to, you know, help Cozzy and Mitch Lewis. And if he's doing that and is still able to contribute two goals a game when we're struggling to 80 or 90 points a game, I think that, you know, it's, it's non-negotiable that he's playing every game next year for it as an example, as things stand at the moment. But uh, everyone's got an opinion. So we should move on to um, someone who I think everyone will have a similar opinion with about. Um, number 15, Blake Hardwick. Now, Dimmer has finished the game with 32 touches. It's his most disposals in a game of Woody. It's only the second time in his career he's had over 30 possessions. 2021, last year, round two against Richmond, he had 31 touches, but 32 is his highest career disposal tally. Finished the game with eight marks, four tackles, 373 metres gained, seven score involvements. Seven intercepts. With those 32 touches, he went at 87.5% disposal efficiency. Uh, 14 pressure acts to go with that as well. Prinzi, uh, is he in your votes? And what else have you got for us? Just another one of those anonymous Dimmer Hardwick games, hey? 
<laughs> he, no, um, anonymous today. He he was fantastic. I think he thought, oh, you beauty, they've brought in a lockdown defender. I can just go and go and fill my boots. So, um, and he he just went and did that. He that that was uh the poor guy's gonna have to ice his ice his foot. He'd almost he'd have leather poisoning, I reckon. So he he was he was great, Hardwick. And I mean, anytime you can get good ball users. The, the ball into the hands of good ball users, you're going all right. And and Hardwick uses it well. He's smart. He doesn't bite off more than he can chew. He just tries. He, he'd be a real coach pleaser because he always gives you what, you know, he should, never more or or less. So, um, yeah, I, I really rate his game. He would be close to being in my top three. I think he probably would be there or thereabouts. Um, there were a lot of good players, actually, um, just quietly. Um, sorry to spoil the rest of the review. Um, yeah, we, he he was fantastic. I, I'll give him an eight. Um, and I'm not sure what he could do to get those other two, to be honest. Maybe uh, kept somebody else like Cody Waitman uh, or Toby Green goalless at the same time and then get 30, then he'll get a 10. So um, there was unfortunately, there was no Josh Rochelle for him to absolutely blanket today so um he just went and got his own ball so yeah great great game and a different game and that's a we don't see this often from um from hardwick so it was nice to see a little bit of something different out of the kit bag for for dimmer today what will be interesting to see obviously only three getting your three two and one but when it comes to pcms he will get close to maximum votes for his game I bring that up because our social media guru, Daz, put out a tweet about number 14, Jack Scrimshaw in the PCM. Uh, he had 25 touches today, five marks, 288 metres gains. Um, I think that the, the biggest thing to note were his nine intercepts, which was a game high for both teams. Six score involvements. 72% disposal efficiency. Daz, um, where is he on the Peter Crimmins medal leaderboard and how did today help with that? I think he's right up there. I think he's top three for me. I think, I don't think, I can't remember a bad Jack Scrimshaw game this year. Um, you know, he he's just the general back there, the new general and, um, He's he, he takes really important marks. He just patrols the defence really well and um, he's just so reliable. And I just actually, out of interest, looked up his, his draft. Um, and he, again, like top 10 talent and it's really showing, but I looked up his draft profile and he had ambitions to be a midfielder. So I'm just wondering if that's something that'll ever happen in his in his career. I love him so much in the back line and I think he's just got all the just just fits so perfectly in our back line. But it's something to consider because I think he's got all the tools to be that sort of big Bontempelli type midfielder. Um, and I wonder if that's the trigger that Sammy Mitchell will ever pull. It's such a hard question, and we're going to speak about Dylan Moore shortly, but I know, Prinzi, in the past, we've talked about leaving Dylan Moore up forward because, like, why Rob Peter to pay Paul when you've got someone dominating in their position? And we'll get to Maury. It feels a bit like that way with Scrimmer at the moment where 
Jars has been inconsistent down back. CJ's been inconsistent down back. Bramble's obviously been injured. Will Day hasn't had a great year. All of these half-back flankers we were salivating at at the start of the year, Scrim has been the most consistent at the highest level all year. So um, potentially something to think about and maybe trial in you know at the back end of the season when it doesn't really matter, but um, he's just you know he's dominating that that defensive um, that that half back line so well. And as I think there's said, sorry as as you said, Daz, like it's you know you get some wrong when you bring in a John O'Rourke and wonder what you know how he was such a high talent and such a high draft pick that then you see the flip side of it and you go, yeah, there is clearly a reason that Scrimshaw was drafted early in the first round and we are the beneficiaries of it, Prinzi. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, I, th- I think Sam Mitchell's shown a real willingness to, to experiment with his midfield unit. So I, I would say as much as, I've been a keep Dylan Moore in the forward line. He's too good there. Keep Jack Scrimshaw in the back line. He's too good there. What have we got to lose in trying him there, you know, in the back half of this year and then seeing if it works or if it doesn't work, I think just give it a crack and see what happens. Um, You know, you know that if it doesn't work in the midfield, well, we'll just slot him back and he can be, Grant Birchall, Mark II, and he'll do it so well. And he'll be better in the air than Grant Birchall. Um, and, you know, he'll do all those things that Scrimshaw does really well. My my one question I was going to just ask Daz is the PCM. I remember having similar thoughts and conversations around Scrimshaw last year around the PCM, and he didn't even finish top 10. So do we think that we could have the same thing this year and why do we think that is? I don't know. Uh, I thought he would finish really highly as well. I think it, I think it's different this year. I think he is a lot more, does a lot more noticeable things maybe. Um, you know, it, he, he's ten, tending to be a lot, I think he's had a more consistent year this year. I think he's take added contested marking to his game. Um, it was always a, a feature, but I think he's probably taken more. I'll have to check, but I think he's probably taken more contested marks this year. Um, but yeah, I, I'd be shocked if he was outside the top, the top 10 again. I really would. Um, yeah. And just, just, just to clarify, I don't think he'll finish outside the top 10, but I'm sort of going to learn from my mistake with, you know, the crystal balling that we did last year and I'll put him like five to seven just because I'm scared that he just doesn't for some reason register with our coaches. So, but then it is a new coaching group too this year. So maybe they're looking for different things and they score it in a different way. Um, So look, I I really think he has to be in the top five in the PCM for sure. So uh, he's been phenomenally consistent this season. Number 13, Dylan Moore loves a game in the midfield, TM. Uh, now, I'm not, you know, not going to um, tell you how to suck eggs, Pinsy, but might just see Dylan Moore as the superstar in our main recap article tomorrow because listen to these numbers. 29 touches, 7 marks, 7 tackles, 
498 metres gained, which was the third highest behind for us behind a couple of defenders. So most metres gained as a mid. He had eight inside 50s, eight score involvements, and with those 29 touches, went at over 86% disposal efficiency. He also led the way for the team for pressure acts with 28. Uh, a more well-rounded game from an individual you will struggle to find, Prinzi. He also had seven tackles and he, only, he, he had 25 minutes of time on the bench. So it was a phenomenal game by Dylan Moore. And he's my three votes if I'm casting him. I just thought he was phenomenal. I'm giving him a nine out of 10 out of the gate. I think also because in one small game, he made me eat my words about keeping him in the forward line. Because he's he was the best a, midfielder. Because he was, he was a difference maker in the middle. You know, he was getting first hands on it. He was getting, and because of his size, uh, when he got first hands on it, he'd often get crunched and get a, ta- a free kick for in the back or too high or whatever. But he uses the ball so beautifully and so smartly. And his delivery to the forwards is just chef's kiss. Um, and I just think you can't have enough good ball users who are good in traffic. And we know from his forward craft, he's good in traffic because he kicks those goals out of packs and all that sort of stuff. He's, he's just got a complete game. And I think this will come up throughout his career. I think he's destined to have a a phenomenal career. And I think it'll come up that this was a guy who we made a list decision on like he was the last man and it was like, do we keep this guy or do we just let him go and play in the VFL somewhere? And we gave him that one extra year. And has he repaid that faith tenfold or what? This is now, we're talking about a guy who is one of the first five names picked every week. This is a guy that even Kane Corns this week needs to come out and acknowledge as being an elite player as a small forward in the competition who is now saying, Hey guys, you think I'm just a small forward? Watch me become a gun midfielder. And honestly, I, other than not being 188 centimeters tall, show me what he can't do on the football field. There's nothing. It doesn't exist. Um, His only limitations are physical height. That is it. Nine out of 10, close the door. (laughs) I love what a speech. And it's, it's, it's amazing to think that at one point in time, he wasn't even the best more on Box Hill's list. That, it just, that just shows how far he's come. It's unbelievable. So back that rating in, Princey, and that was, that was great. And if uh, Damien Barrett was actually ever to learn the meaning of sliding doors for his Friday column, uh, Interesting to what you just said, Prinzi. I mean, that game against the Gold Coast at the end of 2020 that earned him that extra year. Interestingly enough, if he hadn't been given that year, I wonder if, like, he's picked up by another club as a rookie, like, on on their supplementary list. Probably not. Yeah. 
like actually that would have been the end or close he, enough to the end of his career. He saved his career in that Gold Coast game. He legitimately yeah. saved his career. Um, phenomenal, phenomenal turnaround and the true meeting of sliding doors moment. It, it just makes me think we went a bit too early on Jackson Ross, but I'll, <laughs> he, he can have a great career in the NFL. All right. So look, I'll, this is what I'll say. This is the perfect reason why you don't write off players so quickly. You know, we've got we've got supporters writing off Denver Granger Barras, writing off Josh Ward, writing off, you know, these young guys. The like the fact is different players take different times to find themselves at AFL level. And it's not all the same for every draft draftee. And they have different experiences or different things that give them that light bulb moment that um, Dylan Moore clearly had when it was his, it was last chance saloon. I think CJ talked about it being Sam Mitchell coming up to him and saying, why are you playing at box Hill? You know, you've got all this, all this ability. What are you doing? That's stopping you from playing at AFL level. And it was just that little conversation that, that CJ needed to turn around and go, yeah, you know what? He's right. Like I should be there and has taken himself from a category B rookie to, you know, one of the faces of our football club um, and changing the, you know, changing the game for South Sudanese footballers, um, you know, in Victoria and the, and Moore's the same thing. So Mitch Lewis is a pick 76. So these kids don't all come on at the same time. And we've just got to be patient sometimes and not be so quick to write them off as busts because they don't kick six on debut or five on debut like Riley Thilthorpe did, you know? Yeah. Anyway, rant over. Perfect reasoning for why clearly it was just way too early to get rid of Tim O'Brien. But that's another story as we move <laughs> on to another category B rookie that has made the big time. Uh, number 11, Connor Nash. Finished the game with 22 touches and a goal, a beautiful snap goal, five marks, four tackles. Connor had eight score involvements and six intercepts and went at 82% and disposal efficiency is not necessarily normally um, uh, one of the highlights of his of his. Uh, his stat sheet and at 22 touches at 82% disposal efficiency, it's decent enough. Uh, Daz, what did you think about his game? He was unreal. I thought he was one of their best players, actually. And I think when you talk about Connor Nash not being in the next premiership winning 22, I, I disagree. I think he's got, he's just such a different beast really from anything we have or anything anyone else has in the AFL and his chase down tackle turned the game uh it was just an absolute thing of beauty and there's a great photo of it on Twitter um from the from the king himself Michael Wilson um check that out it's just it just shows how he just kind of stalked him and laid a perfect tackle um kicked a great goal that hand pass was just an absolute thing of beauty as well in the first half. So one of his best games for the club, Connor Nash. Um, I thought he was. I thought he was brilliant, and it caps off a really, a really great season for him. And, and, and another clear example. We've spoken it about uh, about it a lot today. It's 
another clear example of a player that's taken a while to to kind of blossom. But he's he's found a role now, and he's um, I think he's one of the one of the first names on the team sheet for Sam Mitchell. I, I think he's 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 earned that spot. So I'm going to give him a seven and a half for Connor. The Connor Nash tackle, like we're talking from an execution point of view, we're talking Cyril against the Eagles grand final. We're talking rough it on Hanbury grand final, like, and I'm comparing grand final moments. We're talking Cyril against Geelong. Like it was just an absolute peak tackle yeah. result. It was, it, it was, I think we saw it on, there was a couple of names on Twitter. It was Mitchell on Shane Tuck vibes, save Clarko's coaching career. It was uh, strats on Paddy Dangerfield. You know, it, it was huge. It, it, it literally changed the momentum of the game. Uh, and it was that important, I think, you know, because Brody Smith probably kicks that. Um, he's a very good, he's a very good user of the footy. I think he kicks that. And it was just like, hang on, shock to the system. We need to get the job done here, guys. You know, it was massive, massive. Echo everything Daz says. Thought it was Yeah. And before I even cutting it up and posting it, I can confirm that that will become one of the most watched gifts of all time at Hawks Insiders. Moving on to number 10, Jager O'Meara. 20 touches for the game, four marks, five tackles. He had three clearances, 410 metres gained, seven inside 50s, five score involvements. Uh, he ended the game with 21 pressure acts, which had him in the top handful of pressure acts for our team. And Prinzi, uh, again, uh, a really solid four-quarter contribution from Jager today. Yeah, I really, really liked Jager's game and um, got us that steadying goal in the fourth quarter as well, which I think can't be underrated. Um, you'd love to see the 20 disposals be like 28 disposals, but I mean, I'm not going to pick a pick apart a game um, like his today. I thought I thought he was incredibly solid um, and just kept kept on keeping on. And I think I think. There's enough. There's been a couple of down games for Jager this year, but there's been enough good to far, far outweigh the bad this year for Jager. And I think, I think the coaches would be quietly pretty happy with the season he's putting together. I give him a, I give him a seven today. Excellent. Daz, anything to add on on him? I I agree with everything Princey said. I, I really, it was great to see the Jager of old just kind of breaking tackles and just being a bit more of a, that sort of contested beast that we know is in him. And he really did take the game on at various stages. And I, th I think he actually was, um, a, a, you know, just just kind of popped up in really crucial moments. And he's becoming a key cog in, in whatever this team is becoming. So really rated his game. Speaking of key cogs, and we'll stick with you, Daz, one of your faves, Chankus Gias. Uh, 24 touches today, eight marks. Uh, led the way for metres gained with 594. Uh, we saw plenty of the run and carry we've come to know and love. Seven intercepts. He did register six 
turnovers. And I think early some of his kicking was a bit poor. Uh, but overall, Daz, how did you see CJ's game? Yeah, I love the endeavour from CJ and just his willingness, again, to take it off the, the back line and just surge us forward. Um, one of my favourite moments of the match is when he absolutely scorched uh, Tex Walker. I think Tex just saw him and gave up instantly and that was a thing of beauty. Um, I think he was over-kicking it at times. I think maybe his momentum was kind of... He was just drilling it sometimes when he could have lowered the eyes a bit and, and hit a target on the lead. And I think he'll learn from this game and uh, it'll continue. He'll continue to grow um, through these next few games of the season. Um, but definitely starting to, to, to be the CJ we know and love. I think he's shaking off whatever injury concerns he had earlier in the year. And um, yeah, just, just got to lower the eyes a bit and, and have a bit more poise, especially delivering into the forward 50 because he's, Taking the game on in all the game, all the all the ways we know and love. So, right, I'm gonna give I want to give CJ a, a, a six and a half, just that extra half point for effort. Yeah, the one yeah. thing I'd just like to see CJ do is know what he's going to do with it before he starts taking the game on, or <laughs> have support around him when he takes the game on. There was two or three times today where. You know, you love the dare and the run, and, but it was it was kind of frosty like that where he just started running and then he was like, oh, actually, where am I running? And is anybody with me? And it was like panic stations, panic stations, quickly find somebody. And then, you know, it breaks down, I guess, the intent of what that taking on the game's all about. So, um, and that's as much on his teammates as it is about him and them understanding, you know, his game as well. So um, it's not a criticism you just like to see a little bit more organization and communication knowing how cj plays the game it was interesting to hear Derm say at halftime that they should put a tag on cj that's obviously the the influence that he felt he was having on the game in terms of breaking breaking lines from 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 the half back and surging us forward so yeah really interesting take there i thought Lindsay, your captain, my captain, our captain, Ben McAvoy, uh, seven touches. He had two marks, four tackles and 20 hit outs. I think the important thing here is not how much, and we've been talking about how much we've missed a second key ruck all season. It's actually how much we've missed Ben McAvoy. Yeah, you you've nailed it, and um, we'll we'll quote our fearless leader Ash Brown, who has harped on this um, on Spaces and on WhatsApp, and probably to random people he meets in the street about the fact that Ben McAvoy would have added two to three wins to Hawthorne's win tally over the course of the year if he wasn't injured, and that's not necessarily because of his ruck. Uh, craft or anything like that. I mean, how nice is it to give Ned Reeves a spell and get a guy come in who actually knows how to ruck? That's helpful, right? It's great for our structure also that we can keep our forwards in the forward line and our midfielders in the midfield and not play them in the ruck. So, um, you know, he added a lot there in terms of just being able to contest with uh, Riley O'Brien and Riley Thilthorpe when he was in the ruck. Um, but it was the leadership and experience that was the real, um, you know, contribution that McAvoy said. He was interviewed after the game and he said, 
Um, he really could feel, he felt like he hadn't played in 13 or 14 weeks, whatever it was, because he could, he barely touched the footy. But what Ben does is how, and how he's undersold himself in terms of his impact, because um, he was in the right place at the right time when he needed to be there. And um, you could see when we were getting smacked in the, in the um, centre, centre clearances, Mitchell put him in there and just said, you know, get around the boys that are in the midfield and have conversations with them about what they need to do, be that on-field coach, you know, and, um, and he just brings a level of calm, uh, McAvoy, you know, he's like, he, he looks like just like a really much older brother to all of these young kids um, and just gives them a bit of leadership. So um, I thought it was really important. Um, if you look at his stats, you probably go, Oh, he probably just breaks even. I give him a six. Um, but I reckon uh, a lot of that is because of the impact that he has just in being out on the park there today um, in helping the boys, you know, pull it back when it was looks like, looked like it was getting away from them. Well, uh, speaking of sliding doors, I think, you know, a month ago even when we still had no further updates other than the fact that he's still got a fractured neck, the question is whether or not he gets another contract and plays for Hawthorne again and... You know, looking at today's performance, as long as his body's right, he'd be an absolute Monty for that 12-month ex- extension, contract extension yeah. at the end of the season. Absolutely. And um, just a little side note or semi-side note to that, how nice is it having four fit rucks on your list? <laughs> Every single one of our rucks played this week for the first time this season, um, which is which is amazing. So um, it, it's nice to have uh, have have that depth and have that um, have that health in that department. And it shows you like, you know, I think AFL media has been writing off the importance of Ruckman for years, but I think if you've got the right one or the right combination, they're, they're incredibly important. So, and, and McAvoy is for so many reasons we've just mentioned. Feel a bit for Max Ramsden who hasn't played a game and in the course of two weeks has gone from our second Ruck to our fourth Ruck. Uh, but anyway, we move on to number six, James Sicily, probably the captain in waiting 23 touches, 13 marks, uh, 520 metres gained, putting him second for our team behind CJ. As I mentioned, the only player that we had on the ground who played every minute of the game today. Uh, Eight intercepts, four score involvements, uh, and had... uh, Eight spoils as well, putting him um, up there with James Blank in terms of the number one spoiling defender on the ground. Daz? Yeah, another another great game for Susan. I think um, second best tackle of the day belonged to him. Um, I felt it's frustrating seeing him having to play on Tex Walker at times and just, you know, there were times where he did negate the contest, but I, I just would just love it for a blank or someone else to develop and, and, and play that lockdown role so Sis can do what he does best, read the footy, intercept, set us up from the back. I think that's where you're seeing the best out of him, not playing on Tex Walker. Um, but until that happens, unfortunately, he's, he's got to play that role at times. Um, but, yeah, another, another great game and... Uh, Probably clubhouse leader for the PCM, I'd say, at the stage. And, um, yeah, I'm going to give him a seven and a half. 
Number four, Jarman Impey, playing up forward, which is a role we haven't seen much of. Finished the game with one goal and three behinds, 14 touches, five marks, three tackles. Uh, Prinzi, seven score involvements as well. And whichever of the coaching panel uh, came up with the idea and, and executed the decision to put Jazz up forward has probably activated one of the clauses in their contracts to get some sort of bonus. Yeah, he was, he was, the, uh, he was our best small forward on the day, I thought, um, and probably saved him from being dropped from Brad Klebanski's, uh team of the week for the fourth week in a row. So um, he might hold his spot this week. So uh, I thought he was really good, uh, Jazz. I thought... Um, you know, on an on another day, probably has he probably kicks three one instead of one three, and then we're really talking about man, have have we found the the answer to our small forward solution? So, um, it looked like there was more of a spring in his step as well today. Um, he he flew high for marks, and he sort of bounced around, and he looked quick, and he looked decisive, and he hasn't really looked that way um, in the weeks he's been playing down back. So, I think. You know, we talk about Jar's game. He had 14 touches. He was pretty solid. Um, but the biggest thing was he, him being able to release more into the midfield to do what Dylan Moore was able to do, and still have a pretty good game himself. So I give you, I'll give him a six out of ten. Um, I didn't think he was amazing. He didn't blow me away, but he was a legitimate option as a small forward, which allows Dylan Moore to go and do his thing in the midfield, which in and of itself is a huge positive. So, um, yeah, let's hope he can re- replicate that sort of output, output but, um, you know, kick a couple more goals than behinds next week. I can tell you again that uh, sitting behind the bench, every single time he came off the ground, every coach and every player that was on the bench went to him. And, like, and praised him for his efforts so um clearly his work rate and he was in the top um top five in the team for pressure acts as well um is definitely being noticed and that was put to good use up forward number three tom mitchell it's nice when we don't have to talk about him as being uh, our only good uh, on baller on the day and can look at these stats as more of an unassuming uh, character in, in the game plot for today. 28 touches, 20 of which were handballs, four tackles, six clearances, pitch finished with six intercepts, um, and also 26 pressure acts, which had him third highest number of pressure acts for the Hawks today does yeah I, I thought he was I thought he played really well and I think he was a really good role player um just did a lot of little things a lot of little pushes off the board to win the footy um smart handballs in under pressure and in traffic the link in the chain um just played his role beautifully and it was it's hard to actually fault his game today um, because I, I, it was really noticeable how much of an impact he made on the, on the side when we needed to win the ball. And 
Um, I, yeah, I, th- I thought he was. I thought it was one of his better games for the year, to be honest. Even though he won't get the plaudits today, um, only had seventy three percent game time, which either says that Sammy Mitchell doesn't really rely on him as much, or maybe he's just managing his minutes. But um, I, th- I thought he was a crucial part of um, of our midfield. Um, so I'm going to give him a seven. Yeah, fair enough too. And I don't have the stats in front of me. I've just brought up that he had four one percenters, which actually had him third highest in our team. Um, I don't have the stats to smothers, but I also recall him smothering on a number of occasions as well, which sort of showed the work rate when he didn't have the ball uh, to try and keep the pressure on. Number two, Mitch Lewis, and it's great that Louis falls with you, Prinzi, because I think um, Daz, again, on socials at one point, mentioned the number 10. Um, so I'll let you talk to that, Prinzi, because Mitch Lewis ended up with five goals, one behind, 12 disposals, three marks. Uh, it was a tale of two halves, but he, gee, when he's up and firing, it is just a thing of beauty, Prinzi. Yeah, it uh, the first quarter today felt really eerily similar to the first quarter against the Bulldogs, uh, where he just took the game by the scruff of the neck and um, everything he did resulted in goals in the first half. I mean, he, he had he had 12 touches for the game. He had 10 of them at halftime. He had eight of them in the first quarter. So he only had four touches after quarter time. It's not great. Um, but... No, but just to those 12 touches and bearing in mind that we had 21 scoring shots, he had 12 touches and 11 score involvements. Phenomenal in terms of, yeah, absolutely. And look, I, where I was going was if you could sustain, now you can't sustain as a key forward eight touches and three goals a quarter. Well, I mean, unless you, the social media for Hawks Insiders who expected him to kick 10, um, name name covered for legal purposes. Um, but uh, his first half was a 10 out of 10 performance from a key forward. And it was like, how far can he take this today? Turns out he couldn't take it much further. Um, but I mean, we, prior to this year, we were talking about Mitch Lewis, who was always kicking like, you know, one to two, maybe three goals if we're really lucky. He's kicking bags this season. He's kicking bags and he's the spear spearhead of our forward line and how quickly he has gone from slightly unfulfilled potential who, you know, could do it, but is he hard enough? Does he command it enough? Does he want it enough to, this guy's a big dog. Like this guy should be up in conversation with, and I'll, and I'll, I'll call them all out. Harry Mackay, Ben King, Max King, Charlie Kerno. Um, you know, I, there's not many of those guys that I would choose over Mitch Lewis. Now, there's a bit of Hawthorne bias there, yeah, sure. And there's also a bit of story bias around, you know, him being the draft pick that we got from, you know, moving on Sam Mitchell um, and then picking him up with pick 76, the last pick of the draft, and then him actually being a legitimate cornerstone of a forward line in space of four years is just, it's phenomenal. It's a phenomenal story. And it just shows that, 
you know, even though I am the guy at Hawks Insiders that that just harps on about getting high-end draft picks, if you've got good recruiters that are worth their salt, you will find Category B rookies from Ireland, Category B rookies from South Sudan, um, guys who, you know, almost get cut but then make it as elite small forwards that become all Australians. Um, the Mitch Lewis key forwards who are pick 76 in the draft the kid from Puwong who came through Box Hill, you know, like good players can come from anywhere. You've just got to find the right characters. So um, uh, an eight out of 10 for Mitch Lewis, um, because every single time he touched it, bar one resulted either in him kicking a goal or us getting a score. So um, phenomenal effort. um, And let's hope he backs it up next week as well. Do you guys think that Mitch Lewis is flourishing under Sam Mitchell. Do you think Clarko had enough faith in him? Because I feel like he was just going in and out of the side and what that was doing to his confidence. Um, I, I just think he's a real confidence player and he wants to be the big dog. And Sammy Mitchell may have said to him at the start of the year, that's that's your role to lose. So um, that consistency, I think, is, is, is paying off in spades for him. I think one thing you have to remember is that in 2019, he kicked 20 odd goals from a dozen games. And we were all on the bandwagon. Like we were all on this kid, like looks like he can play. Um, And I'm pretty sure he started kicking bags towards the end of that season. And then Missed most of the first half of 2020. Uh, only kicked a few goals for the rest of the year, and the bubble had burst. 2021 um, started seeing bits and pieces, but not at the same level that we had seen from that 2019 season. And I know that um, Mark McGowan actually hit Twitter today to say, where are all the Hawks supporters that totally wrote him off? I don't think he was ever written off. There was just the fear that he would not live up to the potential that we saw in 2019. I mean, this is the trajectory that we saw in 2019. We all saw it there to go, my God, like if he fills out, he could become anything as a key forward and look at what happened pre-season this season he filled out and I think that's given him a hell of a lot of confidence Um, and no doubt as you mentioned as Sammy Mitchell coming on board and saying like you're my guy straight out the bat would have also filled him with confidence and he's just flourishing but you know I, I turned to my mate at the footy in the first half and said, these are the sorts of guys, you know, early big monster calls, but these are the guys that premierships are built around. Uh, obviously, he's got to continue with the form and he's got to turn his 30s, his 40 goals that he's going to end up for the season into 60s and do it for three or four or five years in a row. But he's clearly got the potential to do that. And if he does that, we're in... We're in the frame, right? We're, we're going to be in premiership contention. So that's my take. Um, for fear of the fact that, you know, it, it's been fun uh, and we're, we're taking our time here, we'll move on to number one, Harry Morrison. And 
week by week, he's probably winning over the last of the convertees. Uh, and I certainly have been on his back for his whole career. But another great game from Harry. He had 21 touches, seven marks, five tackles, 386 metres gained, four inside 50s. Uh, I think one of the key stats, he had um, 27 pressure acts, which um, put him fourth on the ground overall and second for Hawthorne behind Dylan Moore. He kicked that goal, that snap, and Harry Morrison snap goals, as you mentioned earlier today, I think, Daz. Harry Morrison snap goals have become the... Tom Phillips' dirty scrubber goals of 2021 this year. He seems to be getting one every week, just about. Um, Prinzy, uh, Harry Morrison's game today. Uh, very, very good. Very good. Um, and what I liked about um, Morrison's game was not just the way he used it, but the way he just got stuck in as well, there was some big tackles from uh, from Morrison um, in the first half, and um, yeah, I was I was just I was just really impressed with. I've been look, I haven't been the biggest Harry Morrison believer. Um, I've always thought he was a bit outside. I think I even on one of our review pods said he's a bit of a downhill skier, um, but he's been really good and really consistent for. I'd say, I'd say at least a month, but he's been very good all year. Um, and um, yeah, he was, he was one of our best. He was one of our better players today. Um, I give him a seven and a half out of 10. I thought he was really, really good. Um, he uses the ball. Well, um, he gets out in space and yeah, he's, he's really stitched up a spot in this side. And um, if I'm honest, at the start of the year, I didn't think he'd be able to do that. So um, fair play to him. And I'm happy to, I'm happy to be proven wrong in a situation like this, where, um, where a player just shows, you know, says, no, nah, you know, there's, there's a spot here for me and I'm going to take it. And uh, well done, Harry Morrison and another good game in the books for you. And just to wrap it up for both of you guys, we've already talked about Sammy Mitchell in terms of a couple of um, the positional changes we've seen. We, we saw against the Crows, think Dylan Moore, think Jarman Impey. How do you guys rate the performance from Sammy today? I thought I thought he was fantastic. I think the the ability to play players in different positions and I mean, he's probably coaching without much pressure because there's no expectations. We're an irrelevant football team, right? So, um, he, he, you know, he can do whatever he wants and it doesn't matter. Um, check back in with us in two to three years' time. But um, he is doing what he absolutely should be doing, which is trying to find combinations that work, um, running Dylan Moore through the middle, running Connor McDonald and Josh Ward through the middle, um, playing uh, Jarman Impey up front because he's given us nothing down back, bringing in Josh Morris to free up Blake Hardwick. Um, you know, when he has the players to be able to move things around, he moves things around and we've seen, we're seeing little moments of things that work really well. So um, yeah, really, really liked Sam's, Sam's coaching performance today. And I feel, I feel those, a lot of those decisions are being made out of, uh, his hands being forced to be, you know, you go, you have Sammy Butler having a, a minor in, injury last week and that opens up a spot in the forward line. But 
I think what he's doing, um, and maybe I'm giving him a bit too much credit here, but I do feel like he's building versatility in the side. And I think that's that's will only hold us in good stead for the long run. I think when you look at how he's shifted Sam Frost around Kaczynski playing ruck minutes, Callow and Box Hill playing ruck minutes. I mean, these things are out of necessity, but I think there is a bit of a, a, a master plan there. And I think he wants to be an unpredictable side. And I think that's that's really, when you look at today's game, that unpredictability actually created a lot of um, positive moments for us, especially in that first half. I think motivating that team to, to come out in that fourth quarter and play that quarter that we did after the third quarter, which looked like another typical Hawthorne throwing a lead away. I think whatever he said after the, th- the third quarter um, must have resonated with the players too. So I'm really loving what I'm seeing. And I love I love him coaching from the bench. And we see you were sitting right behind the bench. So you had a good insight into what was happening there. Yeah, it's really interesting. Like it's not my favourite position to be in the ground. And certainly at the start of the game was thinking how much of the game on the far side do you get to see and um, how good is actually being on the, on the bench. But you see him showing replays during games to players who are watching it on the screen with him. You see him patting the bats or backs or walking with guys as they come off the ground. You see him talking to coaches and he was pretty tight with Hickmont behind him on the bench as well. And, um, yeah, I think there will potentially come a time when he moves back to the coach's box. But for now, it really speaks to um, the notion that he is part of this group. You know, he's not um, he's not the disciplinarian from above. He is part of it, doing this together with them. And I think we've talked a lot about wins and losses don't matter much this year in terms of the final numbers. This was a really, really good win, not just because we looked like we were struggling in the third quarter, but because what it does is it says that we're on the right track. It gives some confidence that the stuff that he's doing and and that the group of coaches are doing, that we're on the right track. It basically guarantees that we're going to finish above North. It basically guarantees that we're going to finish above West Coast. It puts us above Adelaide, and we're still above Essendon. So all of a sudden where we're supposed to be at from a development point of view, we're above them all with North and West Coast to play. We win one more of those and go two and one, but potentially three and oh through the Adelaide West Coast North period. And again, all it does is just tick all of the boxes that everything's on the right track. And we can go on to the last few matches of the season to get done but it just shows that there's plenty to like about everything that's happening in, in this development phase. So um, with that in mind, we've probably kept everyone that is still listening, if they are still listening for long enough, um, but it has been really, really enjoyable. And hopefully over the next couple of weeks, we get to have a couple more like this because it's definitely more fun doing it after a big day, after a good win and to be putting positive brown and gold vibes out to the universe. Boys, any last comments before we wrap it up? I think um, to test that 
someone is still listening, if, if maybe we should come up with a secret secret code word, and if and we put it, if you put it out there on Twitter first, you get you get an extra twelve months on the subscription. What, about, what do you reckon? What about something like uh, how good was Nick Kyrgios in his straight sets win against Joker? Uh, <laughs> Let's see, A, whether that comes to fruition, uh, given that it is starting soon. But B, if anyone's listening, they can uh, have a go and, and we'll see what we can sort out for them. Yeah. Daz, thanks very much for your time once again. Prinzi, as always, thanks for coming on board and giving us your thoughts. Thanks for having me, WC. It was good fun. Thanks to everyone for tuning in and make sure you keep your eye on our socials and through the Substack throughout the week. We had a lot of stuff that we pushed out over the last seven days and there's plenty more coming your way over the next seven days, uh, including our spaces, which will return to Thursday night this week with no Thursday night footy that will be dropped on Friday as a podcast as well. Thanks again, everyone, for your support. We hope you enjoyed this review and we will catch you throughout the week.